And speaking of Malachi, now before I went to Bible school, we called it Malachi. I think he was an Italian prophet. Uh, But the book of Malachi, chapter 4, is where we're going to begin. Now, as you're turning to Malachi, chapter 4, let me tell you what I'm doing today. Uh, this is, uh, I'm doing a series that we're entitled, we've entitled Equipping. And I just want to say this about that. Throughout the summer church, I'm going to be teaching on one, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer. In order for us to get momentum as a church, you see, we're really going against the flow as far as, um, as, far as what's happening in our nation Churches are in decline. Uh, 85% of churches have either gone in decline, have, have plateaued, or are in decline. Let me just say this. You say, Bill, you, that, that kind of, that's kind of negative. That's, that's a state of reality. But I want you to know, look at me, church. That doesn't mean that that statistic determines where we are. We don't have to go with what's going on outside of these walls. Because the the culture does not determine where we're going. God does. And so we're going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. See, all throughout the summer, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. In fact, I'm going to challenge you to, to, to fall in love with him again. And I believe that if we fall in love with him, that he'll put his heart in you and me. And that we'll have a passion that what, whatever we do, we don't do. Is, well, we gotta, we got to help the church. we got to get things going. No, we need to fall in love with Jesus and do what he's called us to do. And so as the pastor, I'm going to get up here every day. I'm going to point you to Jesus. Amen. And so we've got to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do in this generation the other thing is that we have got to be equipped. And I realize that, that this is an area I need to do better and the Lord's going to help me, that I can equip the saints for the work of ministry. The American church has got ministry backwards. They believe that they pay the pastor to do the work of the church. Can I tell you what the New Testament tells us? According to the New Testament, you pay the pastor to put you to work. I'm going to amen you there. Amen. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. And so, and that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit too. He's the one that anoints us. He's the one that equips us. And so it's about helping us to understand that we need to be equipped to do his ministry, which means you and I need to be touching lost people. The sad thing is when most people get saved, after a period of time, the only circle of friends that they have are other saved people. And we never develop relationship with people who are going to hell. And yet Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He wants us to be out in the highways and byways and be compelled by his love to bring them in. So I'm going to challenge you. And listen, church, it might make you a little uncomfortable. And I'm not here just to preach to make you uncomfortable. I am here to challenge you. And I am here to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to convict you and say, hey, I mean, listen to this statistic. And this is all. I'm spending a little too long on this now, but help me. Um, uh, 90, in this time, in our generation, 95% of Christians never lead another person to Christ in their lifetime. Think about that for a moment. When you got saved, why did Jesus leave you on the earth? I mean, if he was just to go to heaven, why didn't he take you then? I mean, speaking of lightning striking during a water baptism, I mean, why, why is not he? He left us here because he loves lost people just like he loved you. And he wants us to do his bidding and be his ambassadors, his representative. Five, only 5% of people have led people to another person to the Lord. So that's going to be a challenge for us. And, and then, uh, of course, the last thing is that we need to be building up leadership. And that's another thing that I need to confess to you. I need to do better, and God's going to help me. Throughout the summer, we're looking at the fall of having almost like a, a, a brand-new belief system about our church and about the Lord and about our mission, what God's called us to do. And listen now, I need for you to fall in love with Jesus again. I need for you to develop a new belief about your church and about what God says about his church. You know, the Bible says that He loved, Jesus loves the church. 
And if he loves the church, then we better not. I was at a service at New, New Birth with Pastor Turner, and there's one lady got up and said, you better keep your mouth off the church. I said, that's a good way to put it. Keep your mouth off the church. Don't complain. Don't put it down. He loves the church. But it's not perfect. Yeah, <laughs> there is no such thing as a perfect church. If you go and find a perfect church, guess what? The moment you walk in the door, it's no longer perfect. Hallelujah. I'm, I, this, this is not even in the message, y'all. This is all for free. Hallelujah. So there's where we're going for the future. Are you in Malachi? All right. Uh, I'm going to come back to the, my point. So who's, uh, man, look, there's Hannah back there again. Uh, in the hot seat, y'all. By the way, Hannah's in the youth group now. She is officially a ute, y'all. Wow. Are they growing fast? When they say don't blink your eyes, Randy, is it true? I mean, boom. And they get married and run off. I'm looking over that way. Malachi 4. Let's read the text and let's come back again. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the, great, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Would you lay your hand on your Bible and let's come into agreement. Lord, you said that if any two of you shall touch and agree concerning anything, it shall be done. And Lord, we lay our hands on this verse and pray to, for the activation of what you said will take place in the last days. We ask you for the fathering spirit to come upon this house, to come upon this generation. Father, give us the wherewithal. Give us help. Give us redemptive revelation of the father heart of God and help us to live as sons, not orphans. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, here's what I'm going to try to do for the next few moments. Let me get a time check and see where we are. Okay. You know that a preacher who preaches an everlasting gospel has a lot of trouble with time. <laughs> I didn't get any amens there. I, that was a real weak amen, I noted. Um, uh, just for those of you who, if you're a guest today, and some of you may not be aware that I, I have been in the midst now of writing a book um, that I've entitled Father Hunger Revisited um, because there is, there is great need in the earth of fathering. There is, ladies and gentlemen, there is actually a catastrophe that's taking place right now in the earth. Now, you may say, did you see what's happening over in Iraq? Have you seen what's happening on our southern borders? Do you, do you know what's happening in Iran? Are you aware of what Russia's doing? Are you aware of what's going on in Afghanistan? And, and you could, are you aware of the global economy? Do you know how much debt we're in as a nation? Do you know what's going on? And ladies and gentlemen, let me just say to you, of all the problems that you and I could sit and point to and say, oh, it's bad, what we're talking about today, today is the one that trumps all of them. It's the one that if, if it's not addressed, I want you to see what God said there in that last part of that. He said, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let, may I just tell you folks that fatherlessness is a curse. And notice God says, because of the curse of fatherlessness, if I don't intervene, I will have to come and bring a curse. So apparently, in fact, not apparently, definitely, we in our generation, I believe you and I will see this with our eyes. We're going to see this verse come to pass. And I've asked the Lord, I have tried to wrap my, in fact, I looked, or I've, I've looked all around for the last couple of days trying to find the statistics about global orphans and fatherless children. Do you know nobody has that statistic? But if you were to go into Africa right now, but just because, for instance, of the AIDS epidemic there 
and because of the civil wars in a lot of the nations, there are, listen now, there are literally millions of children just in the nation of Africa who are orphaned. You can go to any, you can go to Romania, you can go to the Ukraine, you can go to Russia. We have friends who were in Moldova who were there rescuing girls out of the sex traffic industry. Y'all know uh, 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 Philip Cameron. Um, you can go to South America. You can go to any nation in the earth. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you now, the greatest catastrophe that's unfolding before our eyes is that of a generation that's growing up without fathers. And once that happens, you can determine the end of that generation. It will be a curse. I want to, have we got that? that uh, did we get that? Okay. Uh, I want somebody to help me this morning because here's what I want to do now. Um, I don't want to really get sunk down in all the negative parts of fatherlessness because you know what, folks? The truth is if you've, if you've kind of been paying attention and you're aware, you know, oh, it's, it's proven now. Statistically, it's proven. You remove a father out of the equation of a family and there will be in that vacuum, there will insert certain things that will be to the detriment and to the downfall of that family and those kids who grow up without a father. And so because, the reason is because we're removing something that God intended to be there and as if to, know, as if to think we know better. But I thought what I'd do today, I want to get a friend of mine to, to bring to you some of these statistics to let, you, to let you hear it from another pastor, from another voice. Now, here is what is uh, cool about this. Anybody ever heard of Ken Hutcherson? All right, anybody ever heard of Ken Hutcherson? All right, he's pastor of a, of a church outside of Seattle, Washington. Here's what you may not know about him. He was a former linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. If you did not know, Dallas Cowboys is God's team. I know it. There was not an amen in this house. Did you hear that? You could hear the crickets in this room. You want to know why? Because their stadium has the roof open so he can watch the games. Thank you. He is also a linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks. I think you might know them. They won the last Super Bowl. Anyway, he is, he is a black pastor there just outside of Seattle. And I want you to hear him share with you some of the statistics of fatherhood and a fatherless generation. Listen. I want to talk to you about the effects of fatherless homes. Do you think a father missing in the home is a problem? Or do you think it's not? There's a balance. But if the father's missing, I'm going to give you some stats. Not coming from me. I'm going to give them to you. I want to read them to you. 63% of youth suicide are from fatherless homes. 63%. 80% of rapists with anger problems comes from fatherless homes. Children with fathers who are involved now check this out. 70% are less likely to drop out of school. 70% of fathers that's involved are less likely to drop out of school. Now look at this one. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 75%. Hold on to your hat. I got some more. I know you're, I know you're sweating right now because you don't want to hear these, but I'm going to give them to you. Daughters of single parents without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. 711%, that's right, look at it, 711% are more likely to have children as teenagers and 164% more likely to have a premarital relationship and 92% more likely to get divorced even if they do get married. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Is that enough to make you up? I'm not through yet. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father. Did you hear that? 71% of pregnancies are from fatherless homes. Do you think not having a father in the home affects our next generation. So, ladies and gentlemen, the statistics 
are staggering. So it's not for me, because this could turn to be a really negative, quiet message today. What I want to do is give us hope today. Will you pray for me that I can help us to look forward to see there is an answer. And we can, it's not as though, folks, we are doomed. Because what I read in this verse, let's look at it again. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Now, let me pause and just tell you why he chose Elijah. Because Elijah was a spiritual father. He was one of the prophets that appeared with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, representing a prophetic generation. He's a prophetic type of a prophetic father. And he says, and Jesus reaffirms this in Luke 117. He says, and the spirit, the anointing and the power of Elijah will come. And he was speaking of John the Baptist to be sure. But understand when they ask about John the Baptist, now stay with me now. Jesus said that Elijah has come and will come. So in other words, he said, yes, he came and he bore the spirit of Elijah. And this wasn't, by the way, some people talk about this reincarnation. No, it's an anointing. It's a mantle that will come upon, in this case, watch now, it came upon a man who was a prophetic type of a father. But in this time, apparently this mantle will become upon a company or a group of men. And notice what it says. And it places that in the time. It says, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one place in prophetic future history that this could be. And it's right before the second coming of the Lord. So in other words, this verse is dealing with Bible prophecy. It's dealing with something that you and I are going to see happen just before the Lord returns. So it's before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which is the day of judgment. And notice what will happen in verse 6. He will turn. If you've got a new American standard, it says he will restore. He will turn the hearts. Now notice where it's directed. It's not directed toward mothers. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Because the catastrophe is not happening in motherhood. It's happening in fatherhood. He will come and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Notice the terminology there. To the children, but he'll turn the hearts of the children to their Fathers, there's a difference there, lest he come and strike the earth with a curse. Well, see, why is it, why does he say the, the children and their father? Do you understand? And there may be somebody in here. I have met people in time that said, Pastor Bill, I don't even know who my daddy is. My mom was with a man one night and she didn't realize that she got pregnant. And, and she didn't believe in abortion, so she decided to have the baby. So she knows who the man is, but she can't find that man. And they grow up and they develop into a young man and their young lady. And, they, and somebody looks at them and says, well, who's your daddy? And they look and they say, well, I don't know. So how can God turn the heart of that child to their father if they've never met him? That's because biology is the least of what makes somebody a parent. Just because a person does not know their biological parents does not mean that they can't be fathered and mothered. Because God says in Psalm 68, he says, I am a father to the fatherless. In fact, when Jesus, oh, I'm going to get excited here and I'm trying to maintain a reserved army. Help me, Lord. You see, he says, when Jesus taught him to pray, he said, pray our father which is art in heaven. And in fact, he says, and I'm going to send a spirit. Jesus said, now watch this. He said in, in John 14, he says, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. Isn't that interesting? He said, now I'm the son. I'm going away. I'm going up to the right hand of the father. He said, but as I go, I'm going to send the spirit of adoption. That's also translated the spirit of sonship. Now, let me, say, let me pause and say something about that. You say, but Bill, you're leaving out us daughters. Understand this. One, when the Bible refers to the spirit in a human being, he always calls your spirit the spirit man. So when we get to heaven, there will not be gender. Understand, Jesus said when we get to heaven, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In other words, you will lay aside your gender role that's on earth and you will take up your reward as a faithful spirit man of what you did on the earth. 
So it's this. So it says, and to them who believed on his name gave he power to become the sons of God. So you've heard, I, I can't bypass this. So here's what I've got to say. Look, if, if, if the Lord calls us men the bride of Christ, then you ladies have got, got to become the sons of God. Now we're even. You got it? All right. So in writing this book, um, there's phases. There's, there's like a, a, a layers, like an onion that's coming. Go back to the very beginning of that, Hannah. The future history of fatherhood, because I need to get to where I'm going here. The future history of fatherhood is simply this. The first part of it, I take time to talk about the, the evolution of founding fathers. Do you know that you can look in the Bible and you can look in history and you can't find perfect fathers? In fact, you got some, you got some folks, I mean, I mean, Abraham, for instance, I mean, he, he, he tried to pawn off his wife and lied that she was his wife and, you know, and, and, and then went into his house, his mistress, or you know, but his handmaid and got her pregnant because Sarah couldn't have a child. I mean, do you think if he applied to be a pastor at a local church, they would have him? How about this one, the, one, the, the, the pastor who saw uh, Bathsheba naked and went and got her and the Bible says went into her and she conceived and when he found out, uh, he said, I got to get her husband killed because it's, I mean, imagine him candidating for the local church. Oh, Pastor David, uh, what about him? Well, he committed adultery and had her husband murdered, but he's going to be our pastor. <laughs> Come on now. Folks, the Bible's radical. You talk about radical stuff out there, people with mohawks and purple hair. And, oh, look, I got tattoos, man. I got pierced everywhere, man. Bible's going, you ain't nothing. Man, God's more radical than any of that. These are fathers. And so the way I see it, there's an evolution, may I say this, a devolution of fatherhood. Because when you begin to see the statistics that we just heard from the, from the man of God, you understand that you and I are born into a generation at a time to where God foresaw it when we wrote, when Malachi wrote those words. He said, there's gonna come a time when there's gonna be a crisis of fatherhood in the earth. And I'm gonna have to supernaturally move in order to take care of it. The next stage, the next phase uh, of this is the resolution of God the Father. Oh, I wish I could take time in all these, but I'm gonna get to you about the revolution of spiritual fathers. The resolution of God the Father is taking place right now. It's taking place in the earth. It's taking place where people who were orphaned, where most of you know my story, that, let me just give you the Reader's Digest version. You see, the preacher that's talking to you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Oh, how I wish I had. I didn't grow up in Sunday school and then sitting in church. Oh, how I wish I had. I'm envious of those of you who had that kind of walk with God and were raised with good. And listen, as I'm thinking about Father's Day today, did you get up today thinking about your daddy? Come on, somebody. Did you think about your father? You know? How many of you had a godly Christian father who raised you in the things of the Lord? Can you just go ahead and honor him right now? You see that? Now, for those of us who can't raise our hands, what we're showing is that you can do that in any church right now. Folks, if I, I could go to any church in this city and ask that same question, and do you know only half the people could raise their hands? And then if I started going into asking questions, how many of you, your father abused you? How many of you, your father never told you he loved you? How many of your father walked out on you and left you, you and your mama and your family? How many of your, 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 your daddy put you down? He, he called you names and, and, and spoke curses over you. Do you know I have found in half, half churches, half of the people would raise their hands and say, yeah, my dad was broken, you know? But here's what I'm here to tell you. God has a resolution for you and for me because my dad... Was, he was not serving the Lord as, as I was a young man. I was the baby of eight children. I had five sisters and two brothers. My mother was married three times. Folks, the, the house that I was raised in was not a Christian home. In fact, there was a lot of drinking. There was smoking. There was abuse. There was adultery. There was divorce. Uh, there was poverty. 
And my dad left when I was nine years old. He actually came back for a little while and then left again when I was 11. I still remember the, the day he was packing. I shared this with somebody the other day. I still remember my mother in the other room crying. And she came in. I was sitting on the bed thinking, what's going on? My dad's leaving. And I remember my mother coming and saying, Bill, please beg him not to leave. He won't listen to me. Please tell him not to leave. And I'll never forget, he packed his bags and he walked out the door. And folks, he never came back. And I grew up as a young man realizing that a a, a young man finds his identity in his father. A young man learns how to be a real man by his father showing him how you be a real man. But watch this now. This may surprise you. A young lady, a daughter, finds her identity in her father because she finds in him, first of all, how to see herself through the man that she'll fall in love and marry one day as to whether she'll be valued and honored or just treated like a piece of meat and talked down to and abused and mistreated. She will see how she needs to identify herself and she takes on that father's name and she learns who she is. She learns how to be a woman by looking at the way her father talks to her and treats her. So now let me ask you this. Now watch. Boy, folks, there's so much crammed right in here that the Lord's got to help me. I I want you to know something. Don't you know that that ancient foe, his name is, he's the serpent. He's the fallen angel. Don't you know that he's a supernatural power? It's said in Ezekiel 28 and, and, and um, Isaiah 14, it said, you were perfect in all your ways. His wisdom was exquisite. And the anointing, he has an unholy anointing on him. Now, he knows strategically how to pull the thread that can cause a whole country to collapse. He knows where to put the target so that if he takes that target out, then there's, there's a scattering. There's a collapse of that. I want you to know something here today. The reason that the enemy is attacking men is because men are the foundation of, of, of society and of culture. People say this, now hang with me. People say, well, it's the family that is the cult, that is the, the, the foundation. I'm gonna to get to that in just a moment. But folks, God calls the man... The, the, the staple. He's, he's the foundation and then God puts the man and the woman together. They become the structure upon which the weight of everything falls. Now we're, in especially in America, we're smarter than God. We think that we can call marriage same sex and it's the same thing to God as it is to those. You can't mess with God's design and think that it's going to come out better. It's always, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, now watch what happened. You say, where did all, yeah, it was in, it was in the garden where Adam disobeyed and, and that, that curse came upon him. But it goes back further than that, folks. It goes back further when Lucifer, who was in heaven, that he rebelled against God and, and decided, I will ascend his throne. I will become like the Most High. And it was in that that Lucifer became the orphaned angel. And understand when he spoke spiritually and said, has God said, and isn't it okay for you to partake of this? And as soon as Adam partook of that fruit, notice it wasn't when Eve ate the apple or whatever the fruit was. Notice it was when the, uh, the man, it says, and, and instantly both of their eyes were open. Death came in. Why? Look, 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 look. Because when the man partook of the fruit, you see, the seed is in the man. The seed inside of him, and the serpent, the fallen angel said, I will put an orphan inside of him. I will make him a slave. If I can get to his seed, I can wipe out his generation. Now watch this. If you want to say, man, this is, this is kind of not a secret friend. Hang on to the end now. When, when Jesus is addressing the Pharisees in, in John uh, eight forty four, you see, I'm saving time instead of having you turn to it. You know what he said to the Pharisees? <laughs> You want to talk about, you know, Jesus being some kind of a pep talk preacher? You know what he said to the Pharisees? He said, you are of your father, the devil. Folks, these were religious people. 
These were people in the sin. They were people in church, sitting in church. Can you imagine? Today's ladies and gentlemen, we've got a guest speaker. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going to come and speak to us. And somewhere through the message, he looks at everybody and he goes, you are of your father, the devil. Well, I ain't coming back to that church anymore. Man. He says, because the, you're, he said, you're doing the desires of your father. You understand what that is? Satan became a surrogate father. Look at me. You only have one or two fathers today. You either have the father God in heaven or your father is the devil. And he says, and you'll do his desires, he said, because he was a murderer and he was a liar. And he said, he calls him the father of lies. So we need to understand that, that that's taking place. But God has a resolution that he, he is going to resolve the father problem. And then there is the revolution of spiritual fathers. And let's talk about that. The Webster's Dictionary defines revolution as activity or movement designed to affect fundamental changes in a situation. Do you see that? A basic change in the way of thinking and visualizing something. Revolution is a resolution to reform. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as I was writing this book, I just need to tell you this, and pray for me. I really believe I need to get it out of my hands this year. Every time I've spoken on this in different states, in different places, in different groups, um, the, 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 the orphaned heart and the fatherless effects on this generation... Folks, I can't even explain it to you. Let me just give you one example. I spoke at a school in Jacksonville, Florida. They asked me to come and, and speak at one of their assemblies. And they said, you know, you, it was a Christian school. So they said, you can speak about whatever you want to. Guess what I spoke on? Father hunger. And here's what you need to understand. After I was dealt with, it was similar to what I'm saying today, a little bit different, but I was speaking to high schoolers and, and, and junior hires. When I was done... It's about 300 kids in this assembly. Folks, when I was done, I stood there, and can I tell you the line, it was in the gym, it was, they had the chairs, it's a picture gym, there was a line in front of me that went, it was single file, and it went all the way out the line, all the way out the door to the breezeway going into the gym. Can I tell you that I stood there for two and a half hours with child after child coming to me and say, why did my daddy do to me what he did? Why did he molest me? One little black girl came to me and said, why did my daddy uh, have to bring another mama into my house and why did he throw me down the stairs? I had another little Hispanic girl say, why did my daddy take advantage of me sexually? Why did he molest me for years and years? Folks, I'm standing here looking into the face of boys and girls with tears coming down their eyes and saying, I don't understand. Why do daddies hurt? Folks, I must tell you today, this message right now I'm preaching is one of the most, if you could see what's going on inside of people sitting in this room because some people are going, oh, pastor, give it to them. We need to hear about the love of the Father. We need to hear about he's a good Father. He's a good God. And there are other people, I've seen it, and as soon as I talk about, I'm gonna talk about Father, you see, they fold their arms and say, let's just see how fast we can get this because I am not going there. I've had people look at me and say, I say, tell me about your father. They look at me and say, I am not talking to you about my dad. Why? Because they have been so wounded and they've built up walls and said, you're not going in there. And the problem is there's a God that's looking at you right now and saying, let me in. Because I want to bring freedom. I want to bring healing. I want to bring deliverance. You don't have to walk around as a captive. You don't have to sit in prisons of being an orphaned. An orphan child of God. You say, how is that possible? Folks, I'm telling you, I have sat in churches for years and preached this very message and people say, yes, Bill, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and I know that God loves me, but they've not allowed God to break off of them an orphan spirit because they still think like an orphan. They still act like a slave because they've not received the spirit of sonship. They've not received it into its fullness. Now, when the Bible talks about foundations, look at this. In Proverbs 29, 18, if you want to turn there, this is out of the Amplified Version. Because foundations, there's a, there are foundations, the Bible talks about spiritual foundations and loss of prophetic vision. Let me give you these two versions of this. Y'all all right out there? Whew, help me, Lord. I feel a strong anointing. Help me penetrate hearts today, God. Let your spirit get in to bring healing in people. Where there is no vision... 
The Bible says, no redemptive, look at this, no redemptive revelation of God. The people perish. Where there is no redemptive revelation, have you had one? Have you seen God as he revealed himself? Or do you have an idea that you've projected onto God? Especially, I know a girl I went to Bible school with and said, said, Bill, when I pray, I always pray to Jesus. She says, I can't pray to the Father. She said, because when I talk about the Father, she said, my daddy was a perfectionist daddy. He said, I, she said, I could never do anything right. He was always telling me what I did wrong. He was always putting me down. He was always telling me what was out of line. So she said, so whenever you tell me to pray to God the Father, she says, I can't because I always see my perfectionist Father. I could never please him. Child of God, let me tell you a little truth here today. God the Father already loves you. He's already pleased with you. He already loves you. You say, but don't you know that I've done some things wrong? He knows. Can I tell you something? He bought into you from the beginning. Ah, you're not helping me out here. Let me tell you something. He, he knew your stuff. I cleaned that up. He knew your stuff. He knew your crap. There you go. He knew the stuff that was in your life. Can I tell you? He bought into you from the beginning. He said, does he know I've got issues? Yeah. But here's what I also know. He looked beyond your faults to see your needs. And he still sent his son to die on the cross. Because why? Because he wanted to demonstrate that he loved you anyhow. And he does it. That's just the way he is. Anybody found him to be a good God? He says, without a redemptive revelation, the people perish. Look at this other translation, New Evangelical Translation. Without prophetic vision, the people are exposed. Do you see that? See, fatherhood is like the immune system. If you've got a good, healthy immune system, you've got a virus or bacteria that's introduced into your tissue, to your, your system. If you've ever seen, I know Dr. Rodden probably could tell you about it, is, is that when, whenever a virus comes into the system, you know, all the, the, the blood cells come around and they, and they swarm that thing. They attack it and they disintegrate it. They take it apart because it has the ability to annihilate anything that doesn't belong. And notice this, without a prophetic vision, the people are exposed to a thing called orphan, orphanism. I don't know if it's a word or not, but I just made it one. Slavery. They are exposed and not realizing if you don't have a redemptive revelation of God, you're always going to find out, trying to, be, to find out who your identity, who you are and what you were made uh, for. Listen to this. The foundations according to Psalm 82, verses 3 um, through six, the foundations are out of course. Now listen to this, verse three. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk in darkness. Who are they? These are those that are up there like, I don't want to get political today, but you've got social engineers, ladies and gentlemen, in our, in our nation. You've got people in our education system that's, that's anti-family and anti-God and anti-Bible. And they're trying to tell us there's a better way than, to, than, the, than the foundation that our forefathers set this nation on. And so the, they don't know is what it's saying. They don't understand. It says, and all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Can you see that up there? All the foundations of the earth. What's this talking about? It's not talking about physical like the foundation on this floor. It's talking about God laid spiritual foundations and said, you know, they're out of course. And look at verse six. He said, I have said, you are gods, all of you, and all of you are children of the most high. Now that, that can quickly be misunderstood. And by the way, Jesus re repeated this in the New Testament. When he says, what does he mean, Bill, when he said, I have said you are all God? You want to know what this means? It means when I made you in my image and my likeness, you are now my magistrates. You are now my judges. And what you judge is what I judge. What you allow, I allow. In other words, I have given you volition and power to freedom to choose. And he says, and whatever you choose, that's what it's going to be. 
And what he's saying to a nation, if you don't take care of the poor, the fatherless, you're becoming the wrong kind of judges. You're, you're setting the foundations out of course. Can I get an amen? All right, let's look at a couple of other. By the way, let me give you a definition of foundation so we understand this. It's the basis of a structure, the groundwork of anything, the integrity on which anything stands and is supported. Folks, fathers and, and, and fatherhood are the foundation on which God has set all of this world. Now, is a found, does that mean that a woman's role is, is less important? No, no, no. It means that there's a priority. There's a position. There is a blueprint. There is a design. I know we've got Vinny sitting here. I know uh, Jeff. I've got some other uh, construction folks who are in here. I mean, uh, construction people, how important is that foundation? I mean, if you don't have a good foundation, whatever you put on top of it, I mean, you can build the finest house, right, Vinny? Yeah, I mean, you can put all the molding and all the crown. I mean, you can put the finest stuff inside of there, but folks, if you don't have a good foundation, the rest of it's gonna come down. In fact, that's what Jesus said. When you hear my words and put them into practice, you'll be like the man who built his house on a rock. But if you're like a foolish man, you don't follow my instructions, you don't follow my word, you'll be like the man who built his house on the sand and, and it will fall great as it's uh, crash. It's the basis of a structure, foundations, the ground on which of uh, the groundwork of anything, the integrity which anything stands and is supported. Now look at this prophetic future of fathers and foundations. Here we've got to understand this. All that dwell on the earth shall worship him, speaking of Jesus, the lamb slain before the foundations of you see that? Before the foundations of the world, Proverbs 20, verse uh, 23, 10, remove not the ancient landmark. Now that's, yes, a landmark as we would think, but also has to do with foundational stones. And look at this. And enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Have you ever read that? What does it mean to enter into the fields of the fatherless? God is saying, don't go there. God is saying, do not try to establish an ancient boundary that does not have fathers in it. You don't want to enter there because it is a curse. Look at Isaiah 58, 12. Those from among you shall build old waste places and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repair of the breach. Notice the capitalization there because it's speaking of Jesus the Messiah. You shall be the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. So here is what, here's what God is saying, is that I am going to raise a prophetic, a prophetic generation that's going to go in and restore the foundation underneath our feet that's crumbling. Now, folks, I've asked the Lord, I said, God, some kids don't even know who their parents are. And some people, their, their dad is already died and gone. How are you going to turn? How, and, and what about all the kids? I mean, just in America, you saw some of the, and folks, I could, go, we could, I could go for a whole book of just statistics of what's going on. It's, it's overwhelming. I've asked the Lord, oh God, how is it that you're going to deal with the issue of fatherlessness? How is it that you're going to turn the hearts of the fathers and children? You want to know what he told me? Thank you. <laughs> it won't be man. It will not come from men. It's going to come from heaven. It will be a supernatural act of God that when it takes place, all of us in this generation will step back and say, look, the spirit of Elijah has come. Look, God has sovereignly addressed the issue of orphans and fatherless children. God has now become the father to the fatherless. He has taken up the slack. That's what Malachi says. You say, well, how, how's he going to do it? I want you to turn, if you got your Bibles there in um, 1 Corinthians 4. Oh, man, i got to hurry. 1 Corinthians 4. He's, here's what he says. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, I do not write these things to you to shame you. I do not write these things to you to shame you, but, now notice who he's addressing, as my beloved sons, 
I warn you. Now get ready for this. As my beloved sons, I'm warning you because he's, he's addressing fatherlessness. For though you have many teachers in Christ, yet you have few fathers. For in Christ, I have begotten you through the gospel. In Christ, I have begotten you. Do you understand that that is like a husband and wife coming together and conceiving a child in the womb. God is, God is saying through the apostle Paul, through the preaching of the gospel, he said, when the seed of my word goes out, it has the spirit of adoption in it. And he says, and Paul says, and when I preach the gospel, now watch, and you become born again, you are now a child of God and I become your father. I don't think you're getting this. In 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 amplified version, he says this. You got it there? He said, in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Do you know wherever the gospel is preached and where a child, any, so it could be an adult man or adult woman says, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. The spirit of sonship comes into you. You are adopted. You, you are a part of God's family. You become a child of his. I, I asked Sean this last night because I know several people who've adopted children. And, and I, I hope it's okay that I share this, that, that I ask you, because I, I, I said, Sean, as, as the father, you adopted Emma Claire. I have talked, I have heard years ago, I said, you know, talked with somebody, said, sometimes some parents have trouble bonding with an adopted child. I asked him, I said, Sean, is there any difference between Hannah and Emma Claire and you and Sarah's mind, he instantly said, no. He said, she's my daughter and there is no difference. Now, people might walk up to him in Walmart and says, there's a difference. <laughs> and they probably have. But Sarah, in your mind, that's your daughter, right? That's your, and she's a spiritual daughter, though biologically she's not, Spiritually, she's your daughter and there is no difference. You see, that's the way God sees you. You've been adopted. If you were to go and say, but God, I feel orphaned. He said, but you're my daughter. You're my son. There's no difference between anybody in this room. I love you the same. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I gotta stop. Let me give you a couple of things to take home. I want you to just follow with me. I'm just gonna touch on these. Proof of sonship. Oh, let me give you this. This is this. I need to give it. Like father, like son. Here is God's counteroffensive, and here is what fathers and sons that I want to speak to you today as as we wrap this up. Successful fathering is obedient sonship. I need, sir, for you to lock your eyes on that and let God just brand something deep down inside of you. If you're going to be a good father, you've got to learn to be an obedient son. Because you cannot tell your children about a father in heaven unless you know the father in heaven's heart. It's up to us to reflect who Father God is. So here's, here's I'm, I'm going to just touch on these and go, here's proof of sonship. I got all these from the Apostle John. And here's the question. And in fact, uh, Sean, I'd like to do this. Maybe we could put these on Facebook. If I if I if I outspeak your writing, unless you can write in tongues or in hieroglyphics or something, you know, I'm going to go fast. But th- look at what Jesus did because this is proof of His sonship, and this is proving that we are. This is proving that we are His sons. Do I love the Father the way the Son did? Jesus said, talked about the love, John 17, 25 through 26. Do I please the Father the way the Son did? Jesus said, I only do those things which please my Father. Do I do my Father's will the way the Son did? Jesus said, I came, I came to do my Father's will and to finish his work. That was his whole, folks, look at me. Go back and read, especially the book of John. He was fixated on the Father. Everything that Jesus had to talk about, he was relating it to him as the son and his father. Oh, oh this, by the way, all young people back there, listen. At 12 years old, when Joseph and Mary had gotten separated for three days, they came to Jesus and said, where were you? Do you know what he said? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? He was, I don't know, maybe obsessed 
maybe too strong a word, but he was totally focused on doing his father's will. That's what you and I need to be about. That's how we know we're no longer orphans. We're not having to prove ourselves. We know who we are, but as a son, I'm being an obedient son to the father. Uh, Do I do things that I see my father doing the way the son did. Jesus said, I only do those things which I see my father doing. Do I say things I hear my father saying um, the way the son did? Jesus said, I only speak those things which I hear my father saying. Do I reflect the father the way the son did? Uh, John 14, 9 says, Jesus said, if you've seen me, somebody help me, you've seen the father. Hey, sir, oh, can I just take, can, that's, that needs to be our statement. I mean, come on, that's a tall order now. That we need to be able to say to our children, to the people where it said, if you have seen the Father, you've seen me. Why? Because I'm a son. I'm an obedient son, and I reflect my Father well. Amen. Ooh, it's getting quiet in here. I'm out preaching my coverage here. Um, Do I finish my Father's work like the Son did? Now, because Jesus said I came to finish his work. Here's, a, here's what, if you can write, write fast, because these are true fathers. True fathers reproduce genuine sonship. So what are fathers be? See, we teach what we know, we reproduce what we are. I want to say it again. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. So as fathers and sons, we need to be producing the father in, in our kids. Number one, true fathers reproduce this, to be born again into a new creation in Christ. We need to be leading our children to be born again. That's, we're born into this kingdom. We're born into his family. Second, oh, now these are going to be hard, y'all, so stay with me. To lead by example when we're teaching. Parents, can I tell you one of the worst things you can do to your kids is say, do as I say, but not as I do. One of the things that as a youth pastor for many years that I saw so many, so many kids leave the church, they say, because my parents say one thing at church, but they live another thing at home. Come on now. And because they become jaded against the gospel because we do not reflect what we say. We're not a good example. And so God help us. We train by obedience when forming character inside of our children. See, we show them we're obedient. Next. We learn to love the way the Father loved us. Ooh, I couldn't put these in, a, in, in, in any priority order. I don't think you could take any one of these out. But how important is for us to teach our kids to love the way the Father loves us? And how many know that's a tall order? We're to teach them to love the way the Father loved us. Next, to find identity in God's purpose. You know, so many kids are trying to find identity in sports, in money, in things of this world, in friends, in music, in, in social media. God wants them to find their identity in Him, in His purpose. Amen? To discover destiny in God's promise. They need to discover their destiny in God's promise, not in something of this world. To teach responsibility in, in faithful stewardship. Oh, man, that's a, that's a big one. Anybody here seen that a generation needs to be taught to be responsible and accountable? Man, I see it big, big time. Next, to practice purity in relationships. I could go on there, but I'm going to move on. To define life principles in God's word that you say, these are my convictions, these are my values. What will I live by? I need to find them in God's word, which means I need to be in God's word and his word needs to be in me. And then last but not least, to know the true pleasure of the true worship of the Father. That is what it is to reproduce inside of our children what God is reproducing in us. Can you stand with me here today? Thank you, Lord. Yeah, come on, Frank, and help me close out today. Hallelujah. Boy, I really prayed about how to finish today. It's according to that clock, it's 12.06. This one says 12.10, all right? Well, amen. If you're coming all right on, just, just come on. Let me get out of the way. Hallelujah. A father bringing some daughters. You know, Tony just confirmed... What I want to take place here as we close today is for the Father to download 
his heart in yours. Some of you have had your hearts ripped out by your dad. Some of you have had your hearts broken over and over again. You know, God doesn't want you to walk out of this place feeling wounded or feeling abandoned or or rejected because that's not him. And Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. Folks, look this way. I'm writing, I wrote this story in the book and some of you may remember it. I want to say it's probably 2006, 2007. We were in Jacksonville, but I saw the story. There was a man down near Mobile and he and his wife were having a conflict with one another. And this father had four children, all of them under the age of 10. And this father, in order to get back at the mother, drove these little children to a bridge. And this was in the wintertime, so it was cold. It was cold outside. This father drove these children to this bridge and and in the car, locked the car, and one by one, this father went and dropped those kids off of that bridge. Started with the oldest and went to the youngest. I know it's a heavy to end the service on, but you need to hear what I'm trying to say to you. I have played that scenario over in my mind. I have seen the faces of those kids look into their face at their daddy and say, Daddy, what are you doing? You're supposed to be representing a loving God. Why are you killing us all? Why are you murdering us? Because it's devolution. It's the spirit of that serpent that got into fathers that said that, that it's, it's that kind of dad that wounds and hurts and molests and walks out and rejects. But I'm here to tell you today that there is a good God in heaven and He doesn't walk out. He doesn't leave you. He stands with you. And He believes in you when nobody else can and nobody else will. It said that He loved us and He demonstrated His love while we were yet sinners. And and Romans 5, 5 says that God has poured out His love. Listen, listen, listen. Has poured out His love into our hearts by His Holy Spirit. It's that Spirit that comes and says, you belong. You're accepted. I want to ask you today, as I close this service, I want to ask, do you want God to touch that place in your life? Do you want Him to come and to mend that broken heart? Do you want Him to come and reset the table and say, well, the past may have been what it is, but I've got plans of hope and a future for you. If that's you, I want you to step out right now and I want you to come stand with these and let those tears come. You want to know why? Because that's your heart crying out to the Lord. God, Him, come on, step out now if you want. I know, I know, folks, the truth is this altar needs to be full. The truth is this altar needs to be full. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to shame you into coming. But if you want to be touched today, I want to pray for you. Would you step out now and let me pray that this anointing would come upon you. I'm just going to wait just a moment. Now it's your turn. I'm done. I'm done. You come. Thank you, Father. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes everyone pray with me Father today right now I break off of these men and women these boys and girls I break off of you an orphan spirit I break off of you a slave mentality I declare you are no longer a slave to that fallen angel Your father is not the devil. Your father is the father in heaven. And he's given you a spirit right now, right now, whereby you cry, Abba, Papa, Father. I want you to say that to him. Say, Daddy. Say, you're my daddy. And I am your child. And I ask you to come right now 
and to mend my broken heart and bind up my wounds and take my past and remove it from me. I will no longer live in the past. I will set my eyes on your promises and what you said about me and how you love me. I receive the love of the Father through your Holy Spirit right now. In Jesus' name, could we all just